Welcome to the VoxGig podcast. We talk to people in the developer community about developer relations, public speaking, and community events. For more details, visit voxgig.com podcast. All right, let's get started. Have you ever wondered how developer relations works outside the traditional startup SaaS model? Well, today we talk to Jason St. Cyr, who works for Sitecore, which is one of the largest digital experience solution providers in the world. Now, developer relations in such a large organization that has such a large ecosystem has a slightly different flavor to the one you might be used to. We talk about the importance of ambassador programs and how ambassador programs actually led to Jason becoming involved in developer relations in the first place. Jason also has a really awesome metaphor for developer relations. To think of yourselves as a human router, which I just love. We also talk about the importance of developer portals and how to design them depending on your developer audience. And finally, we talk about that old chestnut measurement and how Jason does things at his company. All right, let's hear what he has to say. Welcome to the Fireside with Box Gig podcast. Welcome, Jason. It is fabulous to have you here today. Thank you so much, Richard. Great to be here. Awesome. Okay, so let us get straight into uh, how you ended up being a, a DevRel leader at Sitecore. Uh, yeah, well, it was a long and uh, well unique path for me, but probably not so unique amongst those uh, who wound up in similar positions. So my career started, I, I was in software dev doing engineering stuff for years and years and years. I wound up being an engineering manager leading an R&D group, which at the time, this is oh God, more than a decade ago. Uh, at that time, that was not the right fit for me. Like I was doing okay, but like I was not happy with that type of role. It was not what I wanted to do. I wanted to get back to that independent contributor stuff. So I wound up leaving a product company and joining into an agency world. Figure that that's a different pivot I could go with. And this company was doing something I had never heard of before. They were doing content management systems and specifically focusing on hiring in for uh, implementing something from a company called Sitecore. Uh, so I, I got into this and kind of learned the ropes and brought my .NET background in and built a lot of stuff. And along the way, got introduced to the Sitecore community, uh, which were largely other agencies that were out there and customers who had developers all over the world who were building the same stuff. And everybody was doing like blogs and videos and showing up at events and doing user groups and stuff. And I got super into this because I had a background um, really enjoying writing, but the most writing I could do on the job was usually writing documentation, which I got to say did not exactly excite me, but this was a different way of doing This was a way for me to learn and then share what I learned. And so I started doing this whole thing with, oh, I'll do some blogs, maybe write every couple of weeks. And that kind of got me into the idea of developer relations before ever getting paid for it. It's just kind of something on the side. And Sitecore was running a, um, I guess it's called an ambassador program at a lot of places. Uh, it's very similar to the Microsoft MVP program. So that is a Sitecore MVP program. And uh, I said, ah, I've been doing a bunch of stuff. Let's see if I can do that. And the, I, I applied, I got awarded it. And I was like, this is awesome. Big incentive for me to do this. So I started doing more and more trying to, trying to, you know, join this community and become one of the leaders in it. So that got me into the 
idea of how do we help other people? How do I uh, tap into this part of me that wants to learn and wants to help and, you know, get into forums and go on Stack Exchange and all that stuff. Uh, so I was doing all of this. And from an agency side, this was really helpful for them because what it did is it it allowed potential customers to see the knowledge of their staff, build credibility. Um, yeah, so just, they were able to... The agency was supporting this, right? They were... Exactly. They'd be like, hey, why don't you go write another blog? Let's put this one on the corporate site, right? Because this allowed them to go and point and show potential customers, hey, you should really hire us because we know what we're doing. Um, but eventually an opening opened up where I could get paid to do that, that that would be my job. And I was actually at the Psychware company and the folks who were running the MVP program were looking for some, what they called technical evangelists at the time. And I threw my hat in the ring and it was, you know, a grueling process a little bit, just trying to, you know, I was super psyched to go for that type of a role. So I probably stressed myself out way more than I should have. Um, but the company was very focused on their partners and I worked at a partner. I really knew how that life worked. I knew I could help those people because I knew what the job was like. So, um, that allowed me to get into this company and start learning more about how it works from the other side of things. How do you work as a, a vendor with all these implementation agencies and partners around the world and try to get them excited about what's going on and get them the amount of help that they need to be successful because ultimately if they're successful then your customers that are buying your products they're also successful say so Sycor is a is plays in the kind of dxp space which is digital experience platforms they're primarily known as a content management group like i think that like they've been around for 20 years they kind of built up that history but when i was going in there they were really changing their model to think more about all this digital marketing that's happening it matches up well with with kind of developer relations stuff of how do we speak to an audience, get them what they need, be helpful, personalized to their needs, and what their tools are primarily for are the marketing audience. So developers implement the solutions, marketers use what's built. So you might have an authoring team that wants to build a lot of content. They need a digital asset management system or they need to do marketing automation, uh, or they're managing their website content or their mobile app, whatever it might be. Those marketers have very specific needs, especially in the enterprise space. Uh, so the developers, they wind up having to have highly extensible tools, something that's able to plug into whatever you you have, right? You, you might be running some Salesforce CRM, but you've also got like MailChimp over here and you've and then you need a CMS and then you need it. Like, so you start putting this whole stack together. Um, and Sycor saw that as a way for us to bring in, here's, here's all the tools you need. And then the last few years switching over to like, hey, why don't we make this all SaaS, make these all composable, have it all as pieces. You take the pieces you need. And we were traditionally more of a monolithic kind of platform DXP where it's like you get this big thing and it's got all the bells and whistles you need. You don't need to get something else, but you might not use all of it. Um, so that that was kind of a switch in, the, I'd say, about a couple of years ago. Um, so I got to see Sycor through that whole kind of change that they went went through. And I think the uh, 
starting off as technical evangelist and then kind of moving over to leading the technical evangelists. Yeah, so how did you end up as the big boss of developer relations? Yeah, I think that path was one from desire on my part and having a really good boss that listened to me and put a career path in front of me. Um, and two, uh, being senior enough to know here's where I need to go next, right? Like I need to establish myself as really good at this part of the job, but then how do I show that I have a more strategic bent? How do I start introducing data-driven aspects? Uh, how do I start measuring KPIs and things for like that? Showing that, you know, I'm not just going to go create some videos and blogs, but I'm also concerned with how are we performing? Uh, what particular things are working well? Uh, deciding like, okay, this is what we need uh, to do better. And that type of thing allowed me to kind of become more of the manager of just the advocates uh, and then taking more of a role of the whole department of developer relations, which included uh, community as well as developer experience. Um, we're a big enough company to have many departments, but a small enough company that, you know, you still need kind of uh, somebody who looks at it all. So like, for example, we have a documentation team that's not part of DevRel. We have a learning kind of team that's not part of DevRel. We have people who build SDKs. They're part of engineering, um, but they're all very isolated into their products. They're doing their own thing. And we can bring that kind of overall view. So DevRel at Sitecore winds up, the, the way I, I've kind of wanted to put it is that we address the community. We're very focused on the community. We're looking at all developers, wherever they may be, whether they're in the industry, don't know about us, whether they're one of our partners, whether they're one of our customers. And we look at that holistically and we can bring feedback to the product team uh, and put together platforms that address things as a whole and give give kind of a holistic overview. If you come to us, we can help you. You don't need to know how all of it is working behind the scenes, right? We're like, a, I think it was Emily Freeman that I saw at first use it. The idea of the human router. Oh, okay. Um, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love that that analogy because wow. it, it really explained what we wound up doing. It's like we go out and we be these faces. Um, and we're doing all this stuff behind the scenes, but like we offer this way for community members to come in and go, hey, I have this issue, or I really wish you would do whatever. And then we can route it where it needs to go and push for it and and be that force on the inside as their voice. Uh, and then vice versa, be able to have teams in sight of the company, be able to come to us and go like, we need to do something with community members. We don't know what, how do, how do we do that? And like, we can, don't worry, we'll connect you to the right people. We know this, this team over in India is doing great work on this, but this other team in Australia has just built this other thing. Right. So we can kind of be that in between that knows about both sides. Well, let's um, unpack, let's unpack developer relations at Sitecore, because mm -hmm. uh, if I go to the Sitecore website, wow, there's a lot of stuff happening, right? And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of solutions, there's a lot of depth, um, there's a whole developer section, developer resources, all that sort of stuff. I would contrast that with uh, a lot of kind of more highly focused uh, products in the SaaS space where it kind of really does one thing and there's an SDK and API, but that's mm -hmm. it. And even though they might have a developer relations team, 
Uh, I mean, e- even somebody like MongoDB, it's still it's still very unified in terms of what it does, right? Ultimately, it's it's a database. Whereas with you guys, there's a lot of stuff happening. Um, so it feels like developer relations for Sitecore needs a little bit of unpacking. It, it feels it is complex. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think uh, yeah. If you go to like Sitecore.com as the website, like that's like the business corporate view, right? And that is for decision makers and buyers and marketers that they come there and they go, what is Sitecore? What do they do? And then, like you say, your overload is like, okay, well, they're doing all this digital asset management, but then they've got commerce and they've got some content management pieces in here too. And so there's all these pieces that come together. Uh, But I think holistically as a company, the idea is that an IT team, and a marketing team are ultimately working together to reach customers, whatever customer that might be. So it might be Nike, it might be L'Oreal, it might be Toyota, it might be whatever the customer, like whatever type of company, but there's smaller companies too, right? That, that also need this need to connect with an audience. And there's a lot of pieces to that. And then Sitecore says, okay, well, we're going to go with your digital experiences whatever channels those might be, how do we give you the tools to go and do that? Um, and that's great when you're talking to kind of the folks that are looking at it from a business perspective. Uh, but we rolled a developer portal, which is developers.sitecore.com, that uh, focused purely on how do we do the same thing but for a developer audience. Um, because that was one of the things that we understood was it's very complex but to figure out what it is and where the resources are and they're all over the place. Uh, so one of our roles is really just how do we connect people, make it, make findability a feature, right? Um, and the complexity too, even of having those two sides of it, of the tech and business marketing, um, also makes it like our customers are sometimes IT teams, they're sometimes marketing teams, they're often both. So when we look at developer relations, I'm looking at the developer, but is that developer always at the customer? I might be influencing someone who's at the customer making a decision because I've provided a video that shows a really cool use case and it happens to be what they're looking for. And they go, oh, okay, I see a proof point here. This matches what I I wanted to do. Uh, We might be building a repo that a customer would look at and go, okay, I can spin this up. And yeah, I can tweak this around to what we need. I can show that I, that this makes sense. So in that evaluation stage, it can happen. But more often than not, the developers we speak to are actually those implementation folks that are at a partner agency, that their job, they've been hired by a customer. And they, some customer has said, we bought Sitecore, now go make it do the thing we want to do. And they are just saw that we released like six, six new products and they have no idea what any of this is. How do we help them get up? And this is where the How human router comes in, right? Exactly. And that. then and then also strategizing and going, look, I know that this customer is going to be sold these products. I know that we have a GTM that's going to happen and put out these new features. What is it we have to do as a team to make sure all those developers, when their boss comes and asks them, hey, can you use this? That they go, yeah, I know what that is. How do, how do we get them prepped? How do we get them ready uh, in advance? Um, so there's a lot that goes into that kind of 
talk to me about yeah talk to me about the developer portal and because I, I just want to narrow in on that that specific point for a minute uh how important is the developer portal experience because you tend to have two kinds you tend to have one that is definitely a developer portal and then you tend to have one where you're just using your normal account but there's a developer area uh yeah how do you guys do you guys find that it's 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 an effective tool is it is it critical to what you do or is it just uh here here's where you find the api keys but that's it or tell me <laughs> about how you use it i i think it's really um it's in interesting because actually we've looked at this and it looks like in the industry the term developer portal itself um has has started to become basically like a place where you can go and test out the api and see some docs um and that that is definitely not the approach that we took we we took it more from the more classic idea of a portal being your entry gateway into where stuff is so we knew that we had all these products we knew that we had like documentation sites and we have videos and we have community forums that we have. so there's all this stuff how do we provide an experience where it's like a landing area and you can search here and it'll search all that stuff you can come here and it'll tell you what the latest news is it'll tell you where you go to find the developer apis for a particular product um so it comes back to that holistic experience of um actually you you really like when you talk about a company does one thing they've got this one api or this one set of apis they've got this one product that doesn't mm. so a developer portal for a company like that is about how do i work with this product but as soon as you start thinking multi-products and a portfolio and multiple platforms now my developer portal can't be about that one thing gotcha yeah because that's too far that's too granular I got to bring you up a level. <laughs> How do I find the where those things are? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and, that, and then following on from that, and it's something that you alluded to at the start, um, it seems to have been the reason you got promoted as well. Um, <laughs> talk to me about measurement, because uh, this is a kind of a, a relatively hotly debated subject in the world oh. of relations. Um, so my personal experience of that is that uh, I really love to have charts and numbers, um, but at the same time, I know that I've I've generated sales uh, that were two years distant from the conference that I spoke at, where I made first contact with the prospect, mm -hmm. and I had no justification for doing that particular conference. I uh, just liked the destination city, and that's why I did it, and I got accepted. Um, so how do you <laughs> how do you how do you marry those two those two things? Where um, it is very hard to to measure immediate results, but they definitely do work. How, so how do you guys do it at Sitecore? Can you walk us through how you guys measure and how you guys decide to prove this conference, but not this one or this activity? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, just hearing you talk about like your own experience, like that's one of the things that uh, is the most frustrating about metrics and developer relations, but also what I like the most about it. Like I like that there's this butterfly effect. I like that, you know, I can go out, have a chat with you today, Richard, and maybe that helps somebody a year from now. And I have no idea that that's going to happen. There's a magic in that. 
I like to think that if we genuinely want to help people and we focus on that first, that it's going to work out in the end, that those numbers are going to work out. But I also have this side of my brain that's like very data-driven that wants rationale for why I'm making a decision. And I want to be able to walk into a room and when someone says, why did you do this? That I go, this is why. Look at my charts. Yeah. And all the numbers go up. Right? Look at my audience numbers, right? Yeah, exactly. So there's there's both sides of the, that that I like. I And I, I think the fuzziness makes it difficult for us to often come back to a company's North Star, the thing that they care about the most. And in for-profit companies, that's almost always revenue numbers. There's very few that have some other North Star other than let's make the number go up, right? Uh, and that's very tricky when you're not part of the sales team, but you kind of are. And you're not part of the marketing team, but you kind of are. You're not part of customer success, but you kind of are. So you've got all these different influences. So those are easy. They have easy, they have real metrics, right? They can go, here's my numbers, right? And their activities tied to those numbers. Yeah. So they they have a direct influence on the success of that. Um, so I think that's where the fuzziness starts making the measuring. So I started looking at this as if I accept that this is a Herculean task that I'm probably not going to get right and that I have limited amount of time in my day, how do I achieve the goal of what I actually want, which is I want my team members to not get fired. I want to grow the team ultimately. And I want to keep doing what we're doing because I think we do a good job. What do I have to do to do that? Um, and so a lot of that comes down to, okay, let, let, let's listen to what leadership cares about. What, what are what makes them go, wow, that so oftentimes that's about aligning to OKRs. What is it that the OKRs that they're sending? How do I make them look good on those OKRs? What are the things that I can do that do that? So if I can show, hey, we we allowed you to get to that OKR you were you were trying to reach. That's often something that I do from a reporting perspective. So that's one side of the metrics, right? It's like, let's look at what they want to report on. Let's report success on that. Um, and that's more of like, managing up type of reporting. But then there's the whole operational of the team type of metrics. So I do a lot of monitoring reporting. So I look at vanity metrics, things like uh, numbers of views, numbers of uh, subscribers, new viewers that we're getting on YouTube. That's just YouTube, for example. I look at our growth in articles. I look at which articles are performing well, like what are our top articles in a quarter so I can see what the topic trends are. Um, I'll look at things like our Slack, which channels are growing because we have a lot of channels that are kind of tied to different products. So I can kind of start gauging where are people excited, which products are doing wet better, which is usually an indication that that means that that's the one that's going to sell more because more people are asking questions about it and more people are joining there to try to hear what the answers are. Uh, I'll look at things like uh, growth against competition too, where there's public numbers available. How are we doing against uh, say somebody else's YouTube channel, right? Like what, what does that look like? Um, I also look at things that are more lower level at the developer level for whether it's ACR downloads for Docker images or um, NPM downloads per month uh, for a particular SDK. Uh, all of that giving me an indication of where is adoption going for tech. And some of these I measure and report out, and a lot of it is just for our team. So we know what's working and we know where we should focus. Because if we're seeing, hey, nobody cares about this particular SDK, well, maybe we shouldn't invest 
in creating a whole web series around that and doing event presentations on it. But hey, there's a lot of questions in the community on this. We're seeing a lot of hits on the videos on this topic. And um, we're seeing a lot of content being created by our community around it. Well, maybe that's an area we should be looking at and focusing on supporting because people are engaged there. That's where we can have the most impact. And are you uh, doing, I mean, are you doing this measurement with uh, Excel or do you have dashboards, homegrown tools to use a solution? <laughs> I would say it's mostly homegrown uh, with a lot of different tools being pulled together. I think my favorite tool to use in there is probably Excel, which is where I like go to all the different tools and then centralize it in. And then I can, from there, crunch it out, back out to dashboards. Uh, Power BI is used sometimes, but I find that uh, some people go whole hog in on the, the, the tooling aspect and they go all the way there. Some people aren't doing anything. And we kind of live somewhere in the between where it's like, we can do better. We could go towards that. What do I have to do now to get one step closer to that fully tooled solution? And how do I improve it little by little, year after year? Because um, when we started, we were doing nothing but like, how many blogs do we write this month? You know, and we still track yeah. that. Yeah. But like, that's the starting point. And then you just iterate. And I feel teams are on different levels of maturity there. And we're we're on our way. We have what we need now. But there's this other side of it where you could you could do so much better. <laughs> yes. Oh, uh, 100%. I do have a question for you based on your measurements and your metrics. How effective are ambassador programs? Uh, you might have a soft you might have a soft spot for them yourself, but I do. I'm interested yes. in uh, I'm interested in this question because there comes a point as a, as a company grows where it's not enough just to have meetups and blog posts and that sort of stuff. You you need to formalize your relationships with your super fans and the, the, the yeah. developers that are really into what you're doing. Um, so when do you decide to start an ambassador program? How do you run it? How do you measure that? And how important are they? I'll start with the last question. How important are they? I think that it depends on what your audience is from a developer perspective and what those individuals' audiences are. So in our case, we work with a lot of agencies. So activating those developers and getting them to talk about what they're doing is incredibly helpful for us because the developers we're talking to are not at the customers, but they get to influence directly the customers and they build a third party trust on it. So in our scenario, having a whole, like hundreds of people out there that are just talking about our product directly influences our ability to make revenue because it's not the marketing from Secure. This is somebody else that they trust. It's their trusted partner that they work with to make sure they're getting the right tools and the right solutions. And they're not solely usually working on Sitecore stuff. They know what the other things are too. So when they're talking about, it, they have an element of trust to it. So I feel in that scenario, it's incredibly important. I would say that it takes a lot of time to invest in that. And that if building that trust with customers and creating content at scale, and you have a small team, 
investing in an ambassador program early can really help because suddenly you're not the content creator. Now you're a manager of content creators and you've got this army out there. And if you can get them engaged, you don't need to create as much content because they're doing it for you. Is there some um, sensitivity around the fact that the ambassadors work for other people? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would I would say one of pack this one. Yeah, I I I so every single like in our world, all of these people who are our ambassadors are often competitors with each other. Yeah. So you have like somebody talking about something over here, and then someone has a different opinion on the same subject and they work for the competitor. Now they're both our partners, so we've we've got to like make sure everyone's happy. Um, and I think that's what's great about community in general, is that when you find people connecting individually, it starts transcending that competition. Like they start thinking of themselves as one group of people all solving the same problem and less about who's working at who. And I think if you can get your community to that point where they're collaborating together, uh, it starts lessening that problem of the competition and that they're working at different places and um no, i think it's yeah i i think one of the things that is really tough for me to look at is um how do you keep a community wanting to have that helpful nature over a long period of time so i've had the i've had the benefit of being in this community now for a decade and it's changed a lot. There's a lot of it. But a lot of the people who are the most vocal and the most supportive of the community are a lot of the same people that were there when I was there a long time ago. Um, and I think as once you go into the developer relations side of things, one of the tricky parts of community management is how do you keep that going? How do you bring in a new group that that builds on that culture? How do you adjust the culture if you start seeing culture changes? Uh, there's there's a lot of interesting challenges in community management on that side of developer relations. You have a 10-year-old community and a lot of the same people still in the community. Uh, congratulations. Well, I, I, it's that's, probably that's... like 15 to 20 years old. Wow. I can't even remember how old it is. I've only, I've, it's only me that's only been able to be part of it for that long. <laughs> well, so I, we, that, that, I mean, it's... It, that that is an achievement. Um, maybe maybe, maybe you, you guys don't really realize it because you're in the middle of it. But um, communities do evaporate; they do become toxic; they do disintegrate. Um, keeping keeping it going is uh, well done. I and I think a lot of that is a testament to uh, when we talk about ambassador programs. That when you recognize certain types of activity, those ambassador programs are are basically signaling: look at what these people do. This is what we want. This is what we value. And if you want to be like this too, you should emulate that type of activity, that type of helpfulness, that type of selflessness, um, that these people are going above and beyond what their day jobs are. They don't need to do this. They're doing this because they love it. Uh, and by, I think that's where an ambassador program can have a real impact on people. Because So uh, I did a talk years ago where I basically did the Mr. Rogers spiel on community management, okay. <laughs> um, uh, where you look for the helpers, right? Yeah. And if you can find those people and you can elevate those people and put them in front of others and say, look, this is the, this is good. Other people strive to do that too. I'm not saying we're solving world peace here or anything like that, but 
for me, that's a very satisfying thing to be a part of, to, to run something that is trying to just make people better people, more helpful and trying to help, help each other out. Community can be really rewarding. I think we don't appreciate how lucky we are in, in the world of, of, of tech coding. Um, for some reason, community seems to be quite valued. Uh, I speak to friends who work in other industries. Um, and I'm not saying it's across the board, but certainly, you know, you can pick out other industries where this, it, it just is, doesn't seem to be as friendly. There doesn't seem to be this idea of community as a thing that is valuable in and of itself. Um, I just don't think we appreciate it as much as we should. Well, and I know that there's several people in our developer relations community that are um, so well known for what they do and so well known for the value they bring to organizations that they now teach other parts of the organization how to do that. Because okay. it's no longer just about the developer. They go, they realize that, oh, they, maybe this is all people. Yes. Maybe this is less about developers, and it's just that developers are getting the attention because they've got some influence on on a particular decision. Uh, but if we actually take these approaches um, towards other our parts of our business, of how we deal with customers, how we deal with uh, business colleagues, how we do, deal with partners, that maybe it works there too. Um, and it doesn't always. No, a lot of lessons learned from what we've been doing for the last while in DevRel, uh, that applies to a lot of various business. I have one final question on the ambassador program, which mm -hmm. is, help me understand how, <laughs> you know, moving away from community back to hard business reality, help me understand how the revenue generation works there. So is the value because the agencies are generating uh, deal flow for Sitecore, or is it because Sitecore is generating work for the agencies or is it both so the way the way we approach uh our ambassador program is we actually recognize three types of of ambassadors so we have kind of like what we call a technical or community uh, mvp uh, and we recognize them as people who are trying to help each other and are sharing a lot of content, sharing answers, supporting others. So we recognize that type of, and that goal there is more about how do we build brand trust out there? How do we deflect support tickets? How do we uh, make sure that there's good SEO because we've got people creating contents about our products. So those blogs are, are gonna get picked up and um, it's not coming from psychor.com. So you're getting that extra trust on it. Uh, so there, there's a different type of angle with that piece and then we have some something we call strategy mvps and these people are people that we recognize for excellent work that they do making sure that customers get the most out of what they have and this might be because they're doing really cool personalization stuff or they're doing some kind of neat uh business problem that was solved in a unique way right so there's these it's it's more of a solution level. And those are great when we're thinking about case studies and showing to other potential customers, like, look at this awesome stuff. So we want to fuel people to want to talk, tell those stories more and, and make those stories a reality. So that probably lends itself more towards customer success and retained ARR and people feeling they got the value out of what they invested in. 
Um, and then we have something we call the ambassadors. Uh, so it's interesting. It's, it's an ambassador program, but we call it the MVP program. And then there's, we have these ambassadors. Uh, and ambassadors are less focused about sharing content. That That's not what they do. But they're, they're people who are recognized voices that are out there and saying, yeah, this is something that's going to solve your problem. Um, and these people... They may not write a blog post. They may not do some video. They might be not involved in a build. But they're incredibly valued to an organization because they establish the trust with your potential customer. Gotcha. Because they're they're out there saying that this this works. They're they're giving it credibility. So I think there's different aspects. And that that drives more energy revenue numbers. Quite nuanced, sorry. Yeah. Um, there's different ways to go at it. Every, anybody who wants to start up a program, pick what you want to solve. What is the problem you're trying to solve? And then activate people to do the behavior that solves that problem. So maybe it's deflecting tickets. So you want to get people who are really in on answering questions. Maybe it's you need to drive more revenue and that's going to be marketing pipeline. Okay, well, you got to get more people talking about you, more people creating content, more people out on stages at industry events saying, this is what I did. Um, so there's different approaches, but you first have to know what problem you're trying to solve. Got it. Okay. I think we have time for one final question. Unfortunately, because I can keep going for it. <laughs> I hope there's more that I've written down, but we're, we're, we'll, have to, we'll have to defer those the next time. Um, so I, th I think in, in, in your leadership role and in building out the developer relations activities for Sitecore, uh, and just before we kind of started recording, you alluded to, to the fact that some strategies work are interesting and work for a while, but then stop working. Um, do you have exa any examples of that? Or is, it, is that a general phenomenon? Is it something you have to watch out for? Um, what did well, you think? I think, yes. And then stopped working. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's, it's definitely something you got to look out for. I think um, all of us, I'm sure you've had a situation where um, you saw a problem, you solved it, and everybody was super happy about it. And then you did the exact same thing you did before, and people were like, eh, I've seen that. That's not new. Um, yeah. We, As a concrete example, one of the things I identified when I first uh, joined Sitecore years ago was we're lacking a video presence. Um, I'm a... I'm not a big fan of watching YouTube, but uh, I'm a big believer in video as a medium to help teach. Um, so I said, like, there's this old dormant site that the training team was using. Nobody's using it right now. Let, let's let's take this channel over. Let's just put something out once a week. And we grew that thing like 250% in the first year, right? At which point I'm like, I, I know enough that's not going to happen a second year. But the second year, I did at least a 50% growth again. And it was like this big, huge arc of growth of, of audience on it. And because people were just getting to know about it. And there was this huge excitement over video. Now, fast forward five, six years later, that growth rate isn't there anymore. You hit a saturation point and you're going, well, I'm hitting my 10% target now. That's decent growth. But how much of that is the activity I'm doing? And we're, we're doing better quality content. We're doing more content there, but you're not seeing the same return you did at the beginning. So do audiences have 
saturation points. Do they they segment themselves into groups that there's there's just a limit to how far they'll grow. Absolutely. I think the I think when you go after a channel, one of the things like so if we're talking specifically about advocacy and going in on it on channels, like we went at video and we have to keep it up to maintain a certain level. And at the very beginning, you're going to see big growth of adoption. And then you hit a certain point where you can only grow as much as your audience grows. So now you got to switch to how do I grow that funnel that I can saturate into? Um, and just doing what you did before is not going to keep getting you there. Uh, so maybe you switch to doing more written content. Um, and we we did try that where we increased the amount of written content. We tried to work on SEO and things like that. And we saw a boost we're like, oh, we're getting a lot of good traffic here, but then it starts slowing down again. So every time we try to do something new, people go, wow, that's cool. I'm going to listen to that. And then there's a drop-off point. Um, so trying to innovate all the time is just tough. Like it's, you can't always be going viral, right? Yeah. Uh, it's just not going to happen. So you got to experiment. You don't want to be going viral all the time. <laughs> that might be, you're right. That might be bad. <laughs> well, I, I mean, what my takeaway from that is, uh, you know, don't 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 get disheartened. It's part of the day job. Uh, mm -hmm. You you explore a channel, you you push it to the max, and then you reach a steady state, and it becomes part of your your content process or whatever. Yeah, that is the, the that's the everyday. That becomes the everyday. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Okay, uh, I could keep going for ages, but. <laughs> we've got we we we've, we've got to wrap it up. Um thank you so much Jason. This has been very very interesting. Um hugely Well, bad. thank you very thank much Richard. It was great to have a chance to chat with you. Like likewise, I can go all day on this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's what they base work. Okay, cool. <laughs> thank you so much Jason. Take care. Have a good one. You can find the transcript of this podcast and any links mentioned on our podcast page at voxgig.com/podcast. Subscribe for weekly editions where we talk to the people who make the developer community work. For even more, read our newsletter. You can subscribe at voxgig.com slash newsletter or follow our Twitter at voxgig. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.